0: and accelerate your success. Hi, I'm Nikki Barua, your host
1: for today's episode. Much has been researched and written about the lack of women in the tech sector, whether it's representation at major tech companies, or as startup founders, or even as female investors. The question really is, how can you make the tech world a more inclusive space for women? In this episode, I spoke with Kate Broderick. CEO of Women 2.0 and founding partner of W Fund, Kate has played an active leadership role in the women in tech ecosystem for over a decade. She led a global organization focused on women in technology and entrepreneurship as its president for several years. Kate is passionate about applying her experience to advising and mentoring startups, whether as an entrepreneur in residence at Launch New York or as a mentor for tech stars. As CEO of Women 2.0, she is focused on bringing diversity and inclusion in the tech and startup spaces. Women 2.0 provides resources for founders and professionals to grow their companies and careers, as well as provides products for workplaces and startup ecosystem to create inclusive environments that support the advancement of women and other underrepresented groups. And now, with the launch of the W Fund, Kate is on a mission to fuel the startup ecosystem even further and deploy funds to women and diverse-led tech startups. In our conversation, Kate highlights some of the challenges that women face, the perceptions that need to be changed, and the work that's being done to help promote women in tech. She shares her perspective on the gender gap and how to build a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive world. Visit imbeyondbearers.com where you'll find show notes and links to all the resources in this episode, including the best way to get in touch with Kate. Hi, Kate. Welcome. Thanks for joining us on the show. It's so great to have you. Thanks, Nikki. I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. Well, Kate, you have such an extensive resume and so many impressive accomplishments. You're currently holding multiple C-level roles. So my biggest question is, um, how did you get there? So tell us what you do and how you got there.
2: Yeah, so this has been um, a, a, a long, windy journey. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, was the, I was that classic MBA, and actually, I guess it's the not classic MBA student who walked into the career office, handed them my resume and I thought they were doing an interview prep question with me when they asked me to walk them through their resume. And then they stopped me and they said, no, really, we actually don't see this a lot in here. <laughs> so um, I, uh, started, yeah, I started right out of um, undergrad in the tech startup space. And this was mm-hmm. back when you did not do this. Um, I, literally, I found a job. And so that really got me very quickly into what ended up being sort of a, a lifelong, uh, enthusiast of tech startups. Mm -hmm. So, um, in combination with that, uh, and sort of through also going back to grad school, um, I started to do a lot of work for some time. It was on the side, but very well aligned. And for a, a small period of time, it was, um, Central and full time, a lot of work on um, gender in the tech mm. space, and so I was um, working with a global nonprofit. Um, I actually started the Boston chapter of this global nonprofit that focused on women in technology and entrepreneurship. Uh, it was the it was the fourth or fifth chapter. And then I worked with that organization over the course of eight or nine years. And again, became president to the point when um, we had 60 chapters around the world. So that was one of the most rewarding experiences that I had had. I was working with amazing women. Each of the chapters had women on the ground, amazing women, Um, really getting into the communities, um, the tech communities, solving, you know, some similar but some different problems, that sort of thing. Um, I resigned from that position in 2015 with a very heavy heart. Um, I did it for, you know, internal reasons. I really was not, um, I was not on board with the direction that that organization was going. um, And it was a very difficult decision for me to leave. Um, But I did. And I happened to, both of these kind of things converged when a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to take over Women Mm 2.0. So, um, and then, so that's one of the positions and I'm happy to get into that. And then um, we just recently uh, also popped up a VC, a venture capital fund um, that focuses on winder, women and underrepresented led tech startups. So those are kind of my two main hacks right now.
1: What's um, fascinating about your journey is that it seems to be born out of passion. Um, You know, you pursued the things you're passionate about, uh, whether it was technology or um, your uh, passion for diversity and took on opportunities that came your way and um, just excelled at that and rose up.
2: Yeah. And I'll say it's a, you know, it, it's it has been, um, incredibly rewarding. Sometimes it can be a double-edged sword. You know, I, um, there, there's something to be said about saying yes. I think mean, you hear a lot of times, uh, say yes to things and raise your hands for things. And there's something absolutely to be said about that. Um, on the flip side of it, you know, there have been, um, periods in my life where I've had to do a lot of Uh, Thinking and 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 um and really diligent work on how much I had on my plate,
3: and Mm. therefore
2: sort of how effective I was being in that. But I will say that I am very glad that I said yes (laughs) to to some of these things because they certainly converged into kind of my 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 final ish resting place, at least for the extended you know. Uh, extended future um, where I am right now. And I could not be happier with how they got to this place.
1: That's amazing. So let's uh, dig into the two key roles um, you're holding right now. Um, Tell us uh, more about uh, Women uh, 2.0 and share the vision and specifically in your role um, what is the biggest focus and um, you know vision that you're marching towards?
2: Great. Um. So, Women 2.0 started in two thousand and six, Silicon Valley, sort of a classic grassroots organization. Uh, you know, uh, some some women um, in that community, in 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 a living room, very literally, <laughs> were coming together to say, "Hey, we gotta. We want to start talking about." you know, issues of gender and inclusion in this like super high path startup space that was Silicon Valley, that grew into what was at one point a 35 city, largely event network that was sort of the core business focus. And just as a clarification, we run as a for profit for good. Um, we believe very strongly in that role. Um, so, for quite a number of years, that was being run essentially as a large event network, and um, it reached a point—the point at which um, I ended up actually um, taking over the company—was when um, uh, the events as your core business model was is a. it it is a very difficult one to run and it was Mm -hmm. becoming even more difficult. And so the original founder really took a step back. She had organically fallen into it and she was taking a step back to kind of reevaluate whether she wanted to be the one to take it to its next step or whether she needed to, um, take her own personal next step. I was chatting with her at that time, almost as a sort of a friend sounding board type of thing. And I finally just said, you know what, Shaha Rose, I have stepped out of this role for um, for two years at that point. I want to get back into this, Like, I'm just going to do this. So mm-hmm. I acquired it, um, took it over. And where we focus now is we have um, one line of uh, what we do that focuses on um, primarily women. We sort of talk about, about individuals. We, we hit all these problems with a gender lens, but we really do include um, people from any traditionally underrepresented group in tech. Um, so we have a line of programming that focuses on the individuals, um, whether they're founders. Um, we do have a lot of programming for um, professionals inside mm-hmm. companies. Um, And then we also have a line of what we do that focuses on what we call the ecosystem. So that's really like diversity inclusion work to make sure that side of the table can support Mm -hmm. these individuals we're working with. And we have a big media property out front that talks about all that. So we've got a great audience, um, 65% in the US, um, really looking in the next two years to expand our international reach. There is a lot of work to be done internationally. Um, and that is something that we are uh, very keen to do. Um, and so that's pretty much, um, we, we of course do everything online now, but we do generally speak speaking. We do, um, online and offline in the past two years. I would say we've really narrowed our focus in the community and the startup community. So that Mm -hmm. is kind of our real passion point. Um, And so the further you kind of get into our content and programming, it really focuses a lot on that. Mm -hmm.
1: Given your um, focus on women in tech and um, both from a U.S. as well as international perspective, what are some of the most common patterns um, you've observed that are the main challenges that women face in the workplace or um, are holding themselves back?
2: So um, without getting too philosophical, one of the main challenges is that is that in most societies and communities around the world, women have for longer than centuries have just been in a position where they haven't been um, given the opportunities that men have mm-hmm. in, espe- and espe- very especially in business. And so just that mentality is sort of, pretty much across the board the number one hurdle um so from there a couple of the the common um uh, the common themes that we have seen is that number one is mobilization which i think is a very interesting problem is i remember when we were doing some work in milan we literally had women in milan working in tech that that simply didn't realize That They they could have been working across the street. They simply didn't realize that there were other women in there and therefore there was no actual community. Mm. So that ability to actually mobilize and come together locally is a really interesting one. Um, So that's one common thing. And and why is that uh, Um, necessary? Okay, so mobilization is just super important because it literally is the the difference between you know sort of going solo against all these hurdles and actually having a peer network and it makes a huge difference when you have that peer network from a mentorship position from an advice position from an empowerment position mm-hmm. really and so um, that mobilization honestly is one of the first steps towards kind of getting this movement once you then also have a a local movement, you start getting voice, you start raising mm-hmm. awareness. And then at least um, at least at a local level, you can really start addressing um, the issue at large. So right. that's and one that critical
1: really- mass also probably helps to shift things around policy and generally yes. accepted mindset and so forth.
2: Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So that was one key trend. Um, one of the other big things and one of our huge areas of focus is access is you <laughs> there are women around the world who do not live in Silicon Valley. They do not mm-hmm. live in New York City, right? And so literally just getting access to things like, um, in our world now, investors, mm-hmm. um, resources to grow their companies, um, or to advance their careers, like they just literally don't have that around in their immediate proximity. Mm-hmm. And so being able to tap into that, that's why we do do a lot virtually, is because we do want that ability for people who don't have that out their front door mm-hmm. to be able to access that. So those are a couple of the similarities um, uh, that we saw around the world that I think were pretty common that we, that we really try mm-hmm. to kind of hone in on and target.
1: And that... Um... Yeah. Plugs in well into your other role, which is as the founding partner of the W Fund, and um, tell us more about that and why you believe it's such an important thing, um, and and the problem that it's really solving in the world.
2: Yeah. So we have since we started, and since I have been in this um, in this space, we have focused so keenly on um, the founder community and one of the original philosophies of women 2.0 and i just love this is that the way that we can make the biggest impact on the future make companies that we want to see um, who are theoretically going to be the next tech giants Mm-hmm. Is that if we can get them when they are small, when they're building their companies, when they're building their teams, when they're creating their cultures, and when they have leaders who look like what mm-hmm. we, how we relate to, when they're building products by people that right. are, look like us, <laughs> um, that is how we can make the biggest long-term impact is if we get them when they're small. So that's one of the reasons we've mm-hmm. had such a huge focus on that startup space. And so we've done years and years and years of work with women founders, pitch competitions, founder labs, founder programs. Honestly, it was the most natural um, extension of mm-hmm. this was to, was to start a fund. I'm actually the only person from Women 2.0 proper in the fund. I linked up with another amazing colleague, um, Allison Capen, She's been doing similar work with women, um, women who tech, and her Women Startup Challenge for years as well. Just a heavy, heavy focus. She's had pitch competitions for um, ten years, so um, it was a very natural fit. And we finally just said, "I cannot wait to actually write out checks to all, to at least some of these women that we get to work with." So. Supernatural extension is like, why Why wouldn't we do this is pretty much how we felt. <laughs>
1: now, the, the question that comes up for me um, in this is that you did take a leap of faith personally, though, because you don't come from the VC world. Um, oh. And so while the fund is a natural extension for the work that Women 2.0 does, but it wasn't so much a natural extension for you from your background. Um, So how did you take that leap of faith? Because you essentially did something that, Um, So many women talk about that are wanting to start their business, quit their job, start their new business, uh, want to raise funds, but don't even know how to have the conversation, uh, let alone get the funds. And that becomes a huge limiting factor in being able to grow and scale your business. So I'm curious about how you and your journey not only said um this seems like a great next step for women 2.0 but also i'm going to go do that i'm going to you know figure out how to launch uh, a fund so tell us uh, behind the scenes what that journey looked like for you and did you have any um, did you face fears or limiting beliefs and how did you overcome that
2: yeah so at a high level um i think i did two things the the first thing is i i basically admitted to the things that i was good at and that mm-hmm. were part of my background i have done an extensive amount of work with startups mm. coaching advising um mentoring um everything helping them pitch like i have done that side of it for years i am strong at that side and I needed to say that to myself, because it is not for the faint of heart to raise a fund. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the um, the second thing that I, the second thing you probably know about me is that I am, I almost like risk. I don't even want to say that, but I am, I I just sort of am, let's just do this. I mm-hmm. mean, it's gotta get done, it, We we have to do this. to to make the world a better place. Um, Now, practically speaking, one of the things that I did once I got past that really high level excitement, like we're going to do this, is I talked to a lot of people, I talked Mm -hmm. to a lot of people. um, And I had to be very realistic on the presentation of the fund and how that was going to be specifically from a fundraising standpoint. Cause the first step of a fund is we've got to go out and convince people to be LPs in our fund and to invest in our fund. That's the only way we are actually going to be able to write out checks. And so I re- really tried to think, and then, then once Allison got on, we both really tried to think very hard about who was on our team and 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 how we can responsibly take millions of dollars of other people's money Mm -hmm. and invest them because that is not that is that from a responsibility standpoint could possibly be one of the largest um responsibility responsibilities that i've ever taken
3: Mm -hmm.
2: except for maybe raising my kids like literally i'm (laughs) you know (laughs) so um we really made sure that we we fully assessed our, our weaknesses and we made sure that we filled them with the rest of the team. And we talked about, we talked to a lot of people about that team structure. So that I think built a little bit of confidence, um, with, with us, um, and with me to, to be able to really actually go out and do this. Mm -hmm. I also knew from day, I also knew from the very start that this particular project, I was not going to be able to do by myself Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to do it by myself. And so, um, that for me, first step was getting in a team
1: Mm.
3: on that.
2: There are some things I'm perfectly fine doing by myself, and this was not one of them.
1: So, your process was first get clear about what your own strengths are and know exactly where you play really, really well. That is, um, that you're the best of the world at in that one thing. And then also, have um, clarity on what is required to make something successful. So that's where you spoke to a lot of experts in the space. So you had a clear frame of reference of what success looks like in this new business, in this new business model. And then as you look at that success framework, where do your strengths plug in and what are the empty boxes where you don't have the strengths and what are those gaps that need to be filled and then go find the right people the best people to fill those gaps. Absolutely. And the picture that fits the right frame.
2: Yeah. And Nikki on that first part, cause it may be helpful for the audience. Um, something that I learned from, uh, I had a, I had a leadership coach um, and something I learned with her was an exercise called it's just the reduce the racket is what she at least called it. And you literally list on one side, these, these, negative things that you tell yourself
3: mm-hmm.
2: and you sit there with every single one of them and you literally talk yourself out of it mm. and realistically. And you say, so if you say to yourself, um, well, I don't have investing experience in this particular case, you then sit there and you say, okay, but what experience do I have? And you event, and that's where you eventually get yourself mm. to say, okay, but actually, I've done an extensive amount of work with, with startups. I know that space incredibly well. Right, like my investing
1: experience is yes, being an advisor to startups. Well, right. I've got extensive experience in that. Part exactly. of that experience is knowing the tech industry and the mechanics yes. of it. Well, I've got yeah. decades of experience in that. Yeah,
2: so, so you feel back until startup.
1: okay. Yes. Awesome.
2: And so that exercise I think is a really good one. Um, it's something I haven't quite perfected, but I try to use it um a lot is really like just talk yourself realistically and practically talk yourself out of what you're saying, what you're telling yourself. Your
1: negative self talk. So talk yeah, yourself your out of the negative self talk. Exactly. That. Um so the other thing you mentioned is you um Talk to a lot of people so you can understand what's important and how to structure things and so forth. Um, That is uh, something I admire very much about you. You're phenomenal at not only seeking advice, but very transparent about asking for help. Um, That's not very common. (laughs) In fact, uh, I believe there's research that suggests how women – a struggle in their careers because they often don't like to admit that they need help or seek the advice of mentors and sponsors or um, colleagues because um, asking for help or advice often uh, is associated with being inadequate in some way. That I'm not good mm, enough, mm. that's why I'm asking for help. Um, and yet, You and I both know that the best way to uh, get ahead is on the shoulders of giants. When you do ask for the help, when you seek their advice, um, how do you go about doing that? And uh, tell us a little bit about um, sort of your process of not only um, reaching out to someone that you perhaps don't have a relationship with, and how do you go about establishing, nurturing, and building that to the point where they're in your corner and they have your back? Great.
2: Great. Um, so I think the first thing, and and this is something that has come naturally to me, but is a good mind shift for someone to think about is part of the reason I ask for advice is that I've always been, um, curious and eager to learn. And so I, I think I've just always done that. But I think a good way to reposition it for someone who may be um, hesitant to do so is to is to think of it as a learning opportunity and a growth opportunity, and so less as a weakness and more of a a I am actually I am actually wanting to improve. Um, so you know it's not a per, it's not, that's not a perfect mind shift, but that's where I've always come from. Um, and the other thing that I think is important that I know happens when I do this is I'm still very true to what I know and, and at least partially the direction that, um, I think things need to go. And, and why I'm highlighting that is because, because that's a filtering mechanism for me. Mm. And so I'm able to take in a lot of advice and, and be able to um, not not take everything at, oh my gosh, that's 100% correct, and that's 100% correct, and I have to change and shift. I'm able to really take those. So you synthesize data-
1: what comes yep. through, and you're selecting
2: Yes, and I almost bounce all of it off of what of kind of the general direction I already know, and so I'm looking at that advice as, primarily as improvement. Now of course I there have been times I've gotten advice where I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm way off. Mm -hmm. But that's part of that synthesis process. It's like, okay, Mm -hmm. actually actually that was I am way off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? But for the most part it really is 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 synthesizing it against um that's a great word, synthesizing it against um your own Mm -hmm. view on it. And I do think that's important having some confidence in basically that gut um, when you're out asking for, for advice. So, um, when I, when I reach out and I ask for advice, um, the first thing I do is I, I think through my network and I do think about the, um, potential willingness of those people to, um, to offer advice and to want to stand up in that position. Um, and so that's really a relationship thing. And then I um, try to be as very, as specific as possible. Mm. Uh, you know, when I, when I if I send out an advisor note, for instance, or specific asks, or if there's something specific, some specific, um, let's say research problem, I know three people, And I say, I have, can I take 15 minutes of your time? I have a research problem. Here's the start of it. I'd love to get your feedback on how I can handle that situation. So I try to be pretty specific on my, the areas of advice. And if it is a broad area, I'll kind of say, look, I'm struggling with 2020. You know, like things are not uh, you know, things are changing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, things are changing. And I think I just need to talk to somebody. Um, uh, so that, you know, that's just being very honest about what you're asking, I think makes it, um, makes it great. And then starting to identify the people that, so if, if part of the issue is that you're, you don't, um, you're fearful to be perceived as weak is at least starting that process, identifying the people who are going, identifying the people who are going to, um, basically, you know, they're, they're supportive of you. Mm. And so that outreach is all you're already in good hands. They're not going to see it as a weakness. And I think that's an important And you can
1: build up to other people, but like you have a foundation that's already given you some motivation to start that process. So again, in terms of recapping what you just shared, because this is an amazing process and you do it so well, is first off, understand exactly what it is you want to tap your network for. You know, you gotta frame the problem first or the question first. Then figure out is it a general and broad question or is it a very specific ask? Um, And depending on that, frame it accurately and then determine who are the right people within your network. Ideally, the ones who are more likely to be supportive and willing and wanting to help you out and then reach out to those people first so you can start to get that. But then regardless of how many people you talk to, always come back to your own center and be judicious in what advice you take and and how you synthesize all the um, great you know commentary you receive because not everything has your context. Only you have your context. So you have to sort of make your judgment call on it.
2: Yes, yes, exactly. And one of the the, the breakdowns that I sometimes use is I, I try to identify from the person I'm getting advice from, are they simply of a different school of thought, in which case we simply have differences of, of opinions. And so how much should I value that set of opinions? Um, the second one is what is their level of expertise
3: mm-hmm. in
2: that particular area, and you know so. And and generally speaking, you reach out to advisors because of that area of expertise.
3: Right. Um,
2: and then and then the 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 third one is kind of um, really understanding. How how much of an understanding they have of your of everything behind your question. Mm. So sometimes So contextualizing that. Yep. And and sometimes there are great pieces of advice, but they they just simply maybe don't know the full extent of the problem. So then you kinda gotta pull out of Mm -hmm. that piece of advice and, and and piece it into what you know very well right? behind you and, and what, what that problem is.
1: I love that. That's uh, really well um, described in terms of something that you've done exceptionally well. In fact, uh, your email updates are some of my favorites because you could be emailing 25 people in a mass email, but it's so specific even within that on exactly what you need and who needs to do what. Uh, it's it's very effective because it gets you the results. Great. Thank um, you. When, when you went through the process of uh, fundraising um, from the LPs, surely that must have been um, filled with its own set of challenges. Uh, can you... Yeah. Air a little bit, whether it was for that or even seeking advisors. Um, you know, can you share with us a, a, a sense of the mathematics of it all, if you will? Right? How yes. many people did you reach out to? How many did you actually yep. uh, get interested, and then you know, how many actually uh, joined? And yep. uh, just so we can get a sense of what it really takes. It wasn't yep. just Kate made one phone call and got millions in the bank.
2: Yep. So um, first, we are still um, fundraising. Um, what we we just went through one quick process, and this may be actually um, interesting to the audience. We sort of rebooted our fundraising because we got on a new venture fund model. AngelList just developed what's called a rolling venture fund, and we were one of the ten pilot companies that they, um, pilot funds that they chose, um, to be on this, um, new venture fund. And it is a series essentially of quarterly funds. And so investors, it's actually really cool for investors because they can invest with us for, um, they can almost like try us out, which for an emerging fund is really important. They can invest with us for four quarters, for eight quarters, for 16 quarters, whatever mm-hmm. you know once their commitments done they can raise it you know continue it so it's really flexible i bring that up because part of the process that we've had to go through is certainly education
3: mm-hmm.
2: on that structure and then additionally many of the people that we are reaching out to uh first of all are are and this 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 is really when you're kind of doing anything that's in sales mm-hmm. or anything in this sort of realm we put together. I mean, we went through LinkedIn, we went through everything and we just put together a list of contacts. We scored them by warmth level. Mm. And so, um, I I talked to this person yesterday or geez, I haven't talked to that person in three years. So, but we basically said, these are the people who could be great outreaches and scored them. And then, um, And so that's basically, so many of those targets are actually what you might consider new money in the venture capital space. And so they have not been investors in funds before. Many of them are very interested in our mission. Um, An example profile is a successful woman. She's been, you know, really successful in her career. She now has access to money. She would like to invest it and she would love to invest it into other women. We have a lot of women like that who are investing with us. We have to educate them on the investment process as well. So there's a big hunk of investment. Um, and then generally speaking, uh, so, so a fund can have a venture fund that's over $10 million, which is what our target is, um, can only have 99 investors. And so we got to do a lot of math to make sure that we are getting the check sizes, the average, the check sizes we need to get our average Mm -hmm. check size. Um, And then generally speaking, the numbers are all over the board. Um, We've had a surprisingly high success rate in terms of our, the conversations we've had to date. I'd say actually probably we've had 75% of people who have come into our fund in some way, shape, or form. Um, And that's been awesome. Most emerging funds, I think the general stats are, is that you, to get your 99 investors, you literally have to speak to, you know, somewhere between 700 Mm -hmm. people and, you know, a thousand. You are having so many conversations. It's, you know, it's it's kind of crazy, <laughs>
1: right?
3: But I think
2: it.
1: your success rate is also illustrative of uh, the fact that you have a very strong network to begin with. We do, and then we do. you leverage even within that network. You scored uh, the contacts by the level of recency or yeah. strength of the relationship. So in effect, your starting pool was yep. pretty high-quality leads to begin with. Um, yes. Know. And that's, yes, that's exactly, a smart process right. because you could have spent time doing a 1,000 meetings uh, yep. versus having to do you know, a much smaller number to still get what you wanted.
2: Right. And, and to that point, exactly part of the strategy was saving the people that we thought might be less likely to invest for further down the process so that we have success metrics to at least try to sell them on a little bit. We can say, look, we've actually already had this amount of money of people in that This is the, these are the people who believe in us and we've already made, you know, six deals and they're doing fantastically and, and that, so yes, it's very, it's very much like a long Puzzle piece of a right. It's like you put all this three-dimensional
1: <laughs> chess. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah. So, but I yeah. think you're. Uh, you know, everything you've described um, in our conversation really applies to anyone, whether they're looking for a job, wanting to switch industries or careers or Mm -hmm. they want to quit their job and start a business or get an investor or even a business partner. It's really, you know, all the things you described are very much about that. Know your strengths, know what your gaps are, know who to ask for help and build your network, but know who within your network is most likely to help you start with them first so you get the successes and then Mm -hmm. use the successes to go to an outer circle and yep. go beyond that, and uh, yep. I think how methodical that is, and how strategic that is, uh, really not only gets you the results you want, but also makes it happen far more effectively.
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, we really mapped it out for a while before we before we executed on it. So
1: ah, that's um, that's another great point, which is do the strategy and planning until you have it right and then execute instead of saying, I want a job. Let me just hit, you know, apply, apply, apply everywhere. Or here, I'm going to start a company and then figure out who to ask whether I'm doing the right thing.
2: Yeah. I'm chuckling Nick Lee because I got to tell you my, my instinct and something that I have had to personally put structures in place to fight is, is apply, apply, apply.
1: (laughs) I, because you I have a strong know, bias towards action. You're very know, action-oriented, so I'm there's a desire to just go I, execute.
2: <laughs> I, let, I will, will figure it out on the fly. We're good. That is my instinct, and I have absolutely had to put structures in place where, when I know I need to, to to fight that instinct because I know that if I do that, I will have worse results right and so that is that has been a, a literally probably a ten year learning process wow. for me and and setting up that structure
1: and that's where you found mentors and advisors also help yep. you to sort of balance the natural desire to execute with pausing, introspecting, yep. reflecting, and then
2: yeah and and one other thing too on on that last point um, is that I personally tend to do better putting a picture together when I speak to people Mm. as opposed to there are some people who do, for instance, heavy, heavy research. Mm. I tend to, I do research for sure, but I tend to do a lighter level of research and I prefer to like speak to somebody or, and really a pool of people and, and really kind of synthesize it that way. So that's one of so the thinking think
1: out loud is, I, process yep. works better for you. Yeah.
2: Yes. Yeah. So, so that's something for me personally, I have mm-hmm. realized that I, that I function better with some people. Some people are fantastic at researching the heck out mm-hmm. of things. I, and I envy those people. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's, that's generally speaking how I tend to those function.
1: That's great. So speaking of that, uh, what is, um, your favorite success habit or hacks? What what do you think makes you effective not only at doing so many different things, but doing them so well and being a mom and having all the responsibilities that you carry?
2: Yep. So um, again, something that I have really had to work on. I'm like a recovering um, workaholic and... (laughs) We'd never truly recover, but it's um, <laughs> an everyday process. Uh, so I'd say the, the first very clear thing — and everyone on this uh, who, uh, who's in the audience has probably heard this, but it is very real, is I had to learn to say no. Mm. I used to say — we, we addressed this sort of in, a little bit in the beginning prior. Um, I, things look so interesting to me. And I feel like I need to do them because they're so interesting or impactful, and I had to learn that I was being mediocre at a vast number of things, and I needed to cut some things out in order to be great at a smaller number of things um, that was a, That's a very real thing that I had to do you know about ten years ago or so um, the following from that are probably the two biggest things that I've learned. One is time management. Um, I am a very, if, if I leave it up to my instinct, I am a very unstructured person. I will just be like this. And I, I have, I use time blocking. Um, that's a really good tool that I have um, where you literally take your calendar and you block off hunks of time, usually on a project basis. Um, and I try to bunch my calls during the week into two days so that I have open time,
3: Mm. Um,
2: little things like that. That's been very effective for me. I wake up every morning and I just try to do like a gut check of my day. What's my calendar look like? What am I trying to achieve? um, How do I feel? um, That type of thing. And then the last thing is, um, and this is something that I've worked on with my husband um, a lot is um, turning off Mm. and making sure that I am building in time for my family, um, myself, which I'm not very good at doing, um, and not very good at asking for, not very good at asking for that. And I have um, forced myself to be better at that. And then really, um, I know that I function better when I turn off. Um, And I very strongly believe that everyone who thinks that they can work for 16 hours a day for a month straight will do better work if they turn themselves off at Mm -hmm. some point sooner than 16 hours.
3: Um,
2: So those are, I think, probably the two or three biggest things that have helped me um, basically be a better human who is also a professional.
1: Mm. Well, what's striking about what you describe is you've also indicated that these habits and these, um, I guess, techniques or methods you've adopted are in many ways counter to your natural style. And yeah. uh, so many times, you know, hear p- people describe themselves as saying, oh, well, I'm really creative and, you know, I'm not someone who likes routines and disciplines and structure and all of that. I just have a creative process. Um, and what you have been effective at growing into is allowing yourself the space to be who you are, but putting in guardrails and effective structures that help you channel what you are able to do in far more effective ways. And I think that's um, a really great example for anyone out there that might think, well, that's just not my style. (laughs) You know, I don't do this, it can be learned.
2: It can be yep. learned.
1: And you just have to have a growth mindset and know
2: yeah. that are
1: actually holding you back from your own greatness.
2: Yeah. And I think one of the um, the processes that I went through and that I I love advising other people to do is really understanding what type of either skills or work style, or whatever it is, what where, where you are. Are you a macro manager, micromanager? Are you detail oriented or big picture are you um are you a director or a listener mm. you know, and like all of those things, and like really understanding one where you're comfortable and because comfort isn't always the best place to be mm-hmm. sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not, so where are you comfortable, and where do you think? Um, your strongest at or mm-hmm. are your your real strengths like this gets me a lot so that's one exercise you can break it down by a lot of different things that um, I think is really helpful to just increase your understanding and your consciousness right. level of those little things then you can you know um think about guardrails and structures yeah. um by which to start working
1: yeah I think it was uh uh, was it an Elon Musk quote? I think he said that the greatest attribute of successful people is self awareness yeah. you know, yeah. because the more you know yourself, your strengths, your weaknesses, and you know all the roadblocks in your way, the more effectively you can solve that. And uh, I think you've illustrated that very well. So um, thank you so much for sharing so much wisdom and uh, not only being inspiring, but also instructive. And it's been uh, a real pleasure chatting with you. And uh, thanks for being yeah. here.
2: God, this was great. I could have I talked for another hour. <laughs> I love talking. This stuff. It's, so, it's so fun.
1: Awesome. Um, Well, good luck to you in all of the things uh, you're doing to transform uh, the world of women in tech. And uh, we wish you the very best. And we're excited to see
0: more amazing things uh, come out of your world.
2: Great. Thanks so much for having me, Nikki.
0: Share your comments and topic suggestions on imbeyondbearers.com and we'll be sure to address them in future episodes. If you enjoyed our show today, please subscribe and rate the podcast or just tell a friend about it. See you next episode.